And the look on her face was like pain, but yet like, I can't believe I did this. It was like pure, like ecstasy from the pain. (laughs) We we call that the most pleasant exhaustion. I know. It is such a true name. It's so true. I love it. I'm Patrick Hollinger. I'm George Darden. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We have with us here today a very special guest, Tina Tate. Uh, Tina is a regular here in the Atlanta running community. Um, Many of you may have seen her on the Today Show. You may have seen her running out and about around Piedmont Park, and you may have heard about her T-shirt design for the Peachtree Road Race several years ago. Uh, But most importantly, we wanted to talk to Tina today so we can hear about her story, how she came to running, and uh, just her experience as a volunteer track coach with the Atlanta Track Club. So without further uh, introduction, Tina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Great. So as I mentioned before, you're, you've kind of become a bit of a regular within the, the Atlanta running community. You know, you're a volunteer track coach. You've, you've run in a lot of races, marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, 10Ks, etc. But you know, running has not always been something that, that's come easy to you, or it's, it's not always been a big part of your life. Um, so tell us about that, how you came to be a runner, and some of the, the struggles or the obstacles that you faced uh, in your journey to, to kind of uh, get to where you are today. Well, um, I was overweight most of my life. My childhood was um, extremely sedentary um mtv had just come out and i would sit around and eat and watch a lot of cable and a lot of tv all the time um it was for some reason though always in the back of my head that i had wanted to be an athlete and even in high school like i wanted to be on the volleyball team but i just couldn't do it i was just too big and it was you know just always something i wanted to do to be active Um, so I guess probably my, my father passed away, um, at 42, 47, sorry, 47 years old. And, um, it was just a huge shock to me. I was 20 at the time and I was going in the exact same direction he was. And he had, constant dieting was such a huge thing in our house it was just like my dad would lose 40 pounds and gain 80 pounds and you know the same thing started happening to me I would go on these crazy diets I would lose a bunch of weight and just yo-yo all over the place and I think that was really really bad for his heart and he you know he went to the gym every morning he really tried it wasn't like he just gave up so I was really on that exact same path and I would just still try to run my 5Ks and I, you know, I couldn't even find workout clothes in my size at a certain point. So, you know, that's just super frustrating thing. It's not as bad as it used to be. Like, you know, manufacturers have come out with things that are good for people of all sizes to get out there and, you know, feel good about themselves. And eventually I uh, decided that you know, weight loss surgery had become a safe and effective way to finally, like, maybe lose some weight and maintain it. And I knew that my dad would have done it if he was alive today. So I 
with that, I decided that I was going to have the surgery and I was going to become a runner. And I had been on the sidelines watching my neighbor, my neighbor Jason would, you know, run all these half marathons and I would be at the finish line. I was just like, I want that to be me. So, you know, day after surgery, maybe I was out walking and I was hunched over and still not feeling great, but that was like the first step and I have never looked back. And I still to this day remember the fire hydrant that I would try to get to or the light pole that I would try to get to. Started walking, you know, moved into jogging, if you could call it that. And, you know, eventually I discovered the couch to 5K and that ended up being the thing that really helped me because it was a regimented thing. I had some accountability. I felt like it was safe. And I tell people to this day that if you're going to do that program, that, you know, there are going to be weeks that you want to repeat because you just don't feel like you can move on. Or like my first 20 minute run made me so sick. I quit for a month. And now it's like, now I run for six hours. And the way that that happened was literally like one foot in front of the other, one mile further every week, but just keeping going. And that's where I think the accountability of group running came in to me, came to me, you know, it was a reason to get out of bed every Every morning at 4.30, 4.45, you know, who knows what time, um, you know, go out, help put up cones, or just meet the people that you're going to run with and be inspired by. Um, so that's, that's really, um, I think, what kept me going was that community that I would go to every Saturday. And even, you know, in the times of my life that were horrible, um, almost two years ago, it'll be at the end of July, my husband passed away when I was training for the New York Marathon. He was 51, completely unexpected, on his bike, on his way to work, and just had a massive heart attack. And if I don't, I went to practice that Saturday, and I was a run lead, just like I always was. And of course, I was devastated, but I had this group of people that surrounded me and I still managed to do that run and then I was like well that had to be the hardest one of coming back so I just kept coming back every Saturday and I was like I'm still gonna do New York so that's really kind of how it all happened in a nutshell yeah you just took one step at a time well there's a lot to unpack there Um, so let's kind of start from the beginning tell us a little bit about what life was like before the surgery, and then what surgery you did have? Um, Like I said, before the surgery, my life was very sedentary, but I would try and I would, you know, lose 40 pounds and I would gain 100 back. And Mm -hmm. it was just a constant struggle, and I really felt like it was going to be bad on my heart like it was for my dad. So, um yeah, I was just inspired to do it. I had a vertical sleeve gastrectomy in 2012 and lost 130 pounds in 11 months. And 
that that was a big success. Like it, that, it, that's not necessarily you know the results of everybody, but like I said, I was committed to becoming a runner, and there was pretty much not a day where I didn't you know at least you know go out for a walk or do something active, even if it was just you know running up and down the stairs for a couple times during the day if I couldn't get away. So it was you know. I felt like if I was going to, and it wasn't necessarily a financial thing, but if I was going to spend the money to have somebody, you know, make my stomach smaller and like literally, you know, cut me open and make me able to eat less, like I'm going to take full advantage of that and I'm not going to mess it up because you can mess it up. It's it's all about your decisions and your life changes and it's an everyday decision and it still is like there are days where I do not make great decisions but I feel like if the good days outweigh the bad days then I'm moving forward I have a my 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 question has to, has to do with your I, I imagine you standing at the finish line you know watching your 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 neighbor finish a, a half marathon you said and you, you kind of mentioned this, and I think you you might have said that you weren't sure. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that you always wanted to be a runner. Um, was was it specifically that you always wanted to be a runner, and and what is it about running that actually was so alluring? I don't know. I would see people. I guess I live in a really active neighborhood over here in Decatur. Like I live in Atlanta, but just south of Decatur and Oakhurst Village, and. Mm-hmm. I see so many people running yeah. every day <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and they just look so, so either at peace or happy, like both combined. And that's kind of what I've found for myself in running. It's like, I'm aware, but I'm not aware. And uh, it's just one of the most freeing feelings on the planet to be able to just run on your own power down the street after not being able to do that my entire life. And was there a moment, you know, it's you talked about kind of that dream or that vision of being able to kind of enter that, that flow state where you're kind of running at peace. And was there a moment where you went for a run maybe after the surgery and you felt like you had that peace that you, you sought after? I, I definitely did. I, I, probably think it was when I finished my first mile feeling strong, Mm -hmm. like where I didn't feel like I was going to die and I felt like I could do another one. That was kind of a big breakthrough. And then there was another, like I do a 5k around the East Lake golf course three times a week, mostly. And then I do my long runs on Saturday and that 5k around that golf course that was such a progression it was probably took me maybe close to seven months to finally you know make it all the way around and there was nothing like that feeling of accomplishment of getting making my way back to my house from this from the starting point and it being like an actual 5k so I mean, that was huge. And then, like, the people started recognizing me out there in the neighborhood. And there was one day where the Eastlake um, golf course guys, the groundskeepers, all gave me a round of applause. Oh, my god! And it's like people are looking at you, and you're inspiring people. Like, 
no matter what you are, no matter what your size, like it, I mean, it's amazing, like what, how you can pass that on and not even know it. You know, what's amazing is how you talked about seeing runners and seeing them at peace. And in many ways you probably served that same purpose as grounds crew. I hope so. Yeah. That's like my ultimate goal is to give this all back to the, you know, to the community and to the people that don't think that they can do this because it's absolutely possible. If, if I can do it, anybody can. So, so seven months to get to that first 5k. Um, I think it's interesting that you talked about that, that, that you found yourself amongst the community. And of course, as, as Patrick said, you're now a volunteer coach with the, uh, with the Atlanta track club. Um, when did you start hooking up with other runners and other athletes and, and start running with a group? I had decided I was going to run my first peach tree in 2012. And I think that that is a bucket list thing for a lot of people, which is what I love about that race because it's like, you know, family bucket list thing. It's, you know, a personal goal for some people. It's, you know, it's just a really, it's a, it's a really fun thing to get ready for. And I decided I was going to try the training just because it had been offered when I signed up. And I had never been on a group run before, ever. And I was terrified. And my first run lead slash coach was Sam Benedict, who I'm sure you guys know. Well, I, I taught both of Sam kid, Sam's kids at Grady High School. Um, and then Patrick actually... It. Patrick actually just met Sam just last week at the ATC All-Comers meet. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't put that name together. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. So here is this guy who's like a major elite athlete, and he is the, you know, coaching us at the very back of the pack. I mean, the very back of, you know, this training group. I was probably the largest person there still. Um and that was super intimidating. Um, I remember getting shoes, and I talked about this with Mike from Big Peach about how it was, you know, I was terrified to go get shoes because it was like I was going to go into a, sto- a running store, and I wasn't really a runner yet. And But it was an awesome experience, and they treated me like a regular person, and it was the same with training, and it was like they literally had somebody for all levels and um i was probably i ended up being like the middle of the back of the pack and i kept just kept going to it and there were a couple weeks where i just couldn't do it i couldn't face the group i went out on my own but for the most part i kept going back because i knew that they were always going to be there they were always going to be doing the run and i was going to be safe and no one was going to, like, make fun of me that I knew of. You know, I felt really comfortable in that. So did you do the peace train? I did. Um, it was almost two. Um, my first peace train was almost two hours, yes. Okay. And then that was, <laughs> was, that, was that 2013, 2014? That was, that was 2012. 2012, okay. And so, so, that, yeah. was, um, so that, was, that was before your surgery? Um, no, I, I'm sorry. I had my surgery in um, January of 2012. So oh, by okay. July, I did my first gotcha. peach tree. Gotcha. Sorry for the timeline. No, no, it was, it was my bad, my bad. I had, I, I had the timeline <laughs> wrong. You, you know your timeline. I just don't know what it's wrong. So. That's a pretty quick turnaround. That's a quick improvement. 
Uh, yeah, um, my next peach tree was um, 58 minutes and 33 seconds. There you go. <laughs> so just chopping your time in half. <laughs> well, that, that's but that me- was a huge goal. That's meeting your goals if I've ever heard it. That, you know, it's interesting you talked about kind of the – fear may not be the right board, but maybe you know you were a little timid about going into a running store, maybe not sure that – you were runner and, and you know belonged at a running store. You know, a quick word on that. I, I feel anybody that goes to a running group and ever, you know, and somebody ever says you were not a runner or, or communicates that message, in, in a way that's not a running group, or at least that's not one to, to be a part of. And you know, one of the things that's, that's beautiful about this sport is this is a sport where it's not a zero sum game. We can we can support each other. We can kind of help build each other up, and everybody can see can succeed, right? It's not one team versus the other. Um, what are some – were there any other individuals other than your coach that maybe you started to, to run with or you started to bond with in the group that, that you could hold accountable or that you could see grow or that helped you grow as a person or as a runner? I made so many incredible friends through this group. I mean, people that are still my best friends now – even though, you know, I'm not, we're all scattered right now because of Peachtree training and we're not meeting every Saturday at the track club. Um, we're all in different groups, but I still get together with these people and I have a fundamental need to touch base with them a lot. And that the amount of them that were there when my husband died was almost overwhelming. Yeah. And it was like a family, like that's, that's how I feel about them. They're, they're my family and they've gotten me through, you know, wonderful times and really horrible times. And I mean, I can't imagine, you know, saying that about many groups, you know, I guess you all have, you all have this one thing in common that is running, but everybody is so incredibly different. I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. by the amount of scientists that run, um, people that have kids that manage to do marathon training, like it just, all these people blow my mind and inspire me all the time. Very good. Very good. So speaking of marathon training, um, so you, you, you do the Peachy Road race in 2012, uh, you do it again yep. in, t- in 2013 and cut your time in half. And then at some yep. point here, you decided that you wanted to run a marathon. Like, like talk to us a little bit about how you went from, from, running your first sub-hour uh, 10K to uh, then decide you want to run a marathon? Well, um, half marathons became my first big goal. I think that was because that's what my neighbor Jason did, and I had always seen him at the finish line. I was like, that is a it's a really tough goal, and I, it was something I could never have imagined myself doing. But I was like, they had a training program for it. And it's funny, with Peachtree training, with the track club, you kind of get – you, you kind of get the um, the bug, and you want to keep going. So then they offer yeah, like and they, a fall and they, training. And, they, so and they, 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 they bank on that. They have the whole thing, and they, yeah. oh, well, now you've done the peace tree. Why don't you start doing this other training, and we'll get you ready for the Thanksgiving half marathon. Uh, so <laughs> exactly. did, did, did you fall prey to that? And the 10-miler is in between there. Right? So, you know, they've got the triple peach. So yeah, you I totally always tell fell everybody, prey to that, if didn't you? Can... <laughs> 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 the 
10 miler is harder than the um, Thanksgiving half marathon. Also, I always tell people that. But so that's what I did. I just, you know, I started training and I found this group of girls. We call ourselves the ponytail posse. And (laughs) we just started running, you know, moderate pace and talking and having fun and enjoying it and just not being so serious. So, like, people would joke that they could hear us coming from a mile away because we never shut up. And it, that was, like, when I first started Peachtree training, I couldn't imagine that people wanted me to talk while I was running. And now here I was, like, part of this group that we were just chatty. That's how we passed the time. And it was wonderful. And we had this no ponytail left behind policy. And, you know, that group has evolved and people have moved and, but we're still, you know, we're still all really close. And it's kind of what I strive now as someone who's coaching a group like that, to try to bring them together in that, you know, in that closeness together and loving every minute of a half marathon. I mean, I could never have imagined that. So I got through the 10 miler and that for some reason is one of my favorite races and so fun and then I, by Thanksgiving, I was ready to do my first half marathon, and I have never been so proud of myself in my entire life as I was that day of that first Thanksgiving half. And you can see it in my smile. I'm just a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, I mean, the year before, I had done the 5K at my full weight of 250, and I put the pictures side by side, and it's just – it. it makes me just want to tell everybody that you can change everything if you want to and you just have to keep going and never never stop absolutely and one of the things that's fascinating or one thing that i keep hearing over and over in your stories is so you like you talk about you know your first run you're just trying to make it to the fire hydrant then the next run you're just trying to make it to the stop sign and then you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And then a year later, somehow you've run a, a 10K. Then a year after that, somehow you've run a half marathon. You know, it's 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 amazing um, how dedicated you were. Kind of, you know, once you had the surgery and once you really kind of started making progress. Um, now, we're talking about, you know, you training for your, your first marathon at New York City. Uh, but that obviously was not without. My first marathon was Flying Pig, actually. Oh, Flying Pig. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about about that, about training leading up uh, to the marathon. Maybe what were some uh, some obstacles you faced, and then maybe some lessons learned. And I'm going to check back in with the timeline again. <laughs> so, 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 just I'm trying, trying, trying. I'm, I'm the linear guy in the group here. So George is a college professor. That's right. Yeah. January 2013 surgery. July 4th, 2012. 2012. Okay. Uh, like, as soon as I said that, every listener went, 2012. Uh, yeah. But then, uh, <laughs> uh, July 4th, 2012, Peachtree Road Race. Uh, July 4th, 2013, Peachtree Road Race. Thanksgiving of 2013. October 2013, 10-miler. Thanksgiving of 2013, yep. half marathon. Yep. Yeah. All right. Keep it going. Take us to Flying Pig. <laughs> now, what year did you end up doing Flying Pig? That's in May of... Oh, gosh, why can't I remember when the flying pig was now? Um, my first flying pig was 20... 
Tina, you are making me 14. feel so much better right now. <laughs> 2014. 2014. Okay. 2014. Yep. All right, cool. And so just a few months then after the uh, after your first half marathon. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, I'm completely wrong. It was 2015. <laughs> All right, I so just had to look at my medal. I'm I'm with you. All right, so so a year and a half then goes by between your first half yep. marathon and your first marathon. All right, so take us through that yep. year and a half between between Thanksgiving of of twenty. 20- 13 and May of 2015. Flying Pig's going to be your first I marathon. Deci- Tell us about it. I decided that I was going to run a half marathon in all of my home cities. Okay. So I did Thanksgiving half here, and then I did Sarasota half marathon in Sarasota, Florida. Mm-hmm. And then I did Grandma's um, half marathon in Duluth, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So that's all the places that I've lived. So I thought that would be a fun thing. Cool. And then I just kept, you know, training for half marathons and eventually felt like I could be, you know, a track club coach. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my goal to always stay trained for a half so that I could, you know, be a volunteer coach and keep doing that training. That was a reason for me to go every Saturday. Like I said, you know, that even became even more so than seeing my friends. It was like here was a pace, a full pace group of people, maybe 20 some, some days and, you know, five other days. But it was this group of people that was waiting for me to like lead them through the city streets. And that was an incredible feeling. Like I actually felt like I knew what I was doing by then after, I don't know, I'd probably done like six half marathons by then. Yeah. And then I would start to see the marathon training people be out there. And I'd be like, I saw my friend Stephanie trained for the Marine Corps Marathon. It was her first. And she had also had weight loss surgery and lost about the same amount I did. And I saw her come back from a 22-mile run. And the look on her face was like pain, but yet, like, I can't believe I did this. It was like pure, like ec- ecstasy from the pain. <laughs> we, we we call that the most pleasant exhaustion. I know, and it's such a true name. It's so true. I just love it. So that's when I was like, all right, I'm totally signing up for my first marathon. And everybody said that the Flying Pig was one of Runners World top marathons, and everyone had just said, what up amazing race it was and you know great crowd support um very generous time limit which was important to me because i'm not fast and i never will be and i mean my sub 60 peach tree is a is a unicorn that's never <laughs> and i almost threw up but <laughs> but you did it you can forever say you ran sub 60 exactly so you know it was just it was more now it was more about like surviving and um, I had the pleasure of training with um, someone that I had met, you know, through the track club, Rebecca. And we were doing, she had lost almost 200 pounds or maybe even over 200 pounds, I want to say, with also having weight loss surgery. So this has brought a few of us together that have become runners. It's it's not very, it's not a huge, you know, huge group of people that have come not from, you know, 300 pounds to marathon, but it's an incredible accomplishment and it's something we all share. And um, so she and I trained together and 
there were days where, um, you know, we did a 20 mile run together and then we did the next week we did a 22 mile run from Chastain to the Beltline skate park and back. (laughs) And it was the and back part that we were like, it was like, it started raining. We camped out in Starbucks for a minute. Nobody wanted to be around us because we were so disgusting. (laughs) And we just plowed through it together and, like, climbed back into Buckhead. And, like, the fact that my body was capable of running that far was miraculous. But it was one mile more every Saturday for years. (laughs) Yeah. And the progress comes slowly. So uh, Yeah, it does. And so, what did you? What was your takeaway from the uh, from the marathon? How did you feel when you crossed the finish line in Cincinnati? You finished, right? Um, oh yes, of course. Right. And it was slow. It was hot, and there was not a lot of people left. But there was my tribe, my all my people waiting for me at the finish line, and the people from the track club that gave up their own race to run with us that day, like you know, they're a few people who could run a marathon an hour faster than we did, but they chose that race to stay with us. And we crossed the finish line as a group and there was nothing like the pictures are hilarious. Um, It's just, it was, it was amazing. And the fact that I was so well trained, like we were able to go out that afternoon and still enjoy ourselves instead of just, barely surviving and I think that's a really important thing to note is that you just I always say respect the distance it's like you don't just go from couch to marathon like it's not it doesn't work that way it some people can but to be safe and you know to to really do it the right way you've got to you've got to train and you've got to do the correct training so, uh, May of 2015, you run the, uh, the, the Flying Pig Marathon, <laughs> and then I know in November uh-huh. of 2016, November of 2016, that's when you did the New York yep. City Marathon. Did you have another yep. one in between there? Nope. Okay, so, 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 so take us then from, to, up to, to deciding that you're going to do the New York City Marathon. Well, there had been a, uh, the annual track club social with the silent auction, And I was, I had a horrible, like, compressed nerve thing in my back. And so I had to leave the party early. And I got a text around midnight saying, we just signed us up to raise money for Kilometer Kids and run the New York City Marathon. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So I had back surgery, like, um... Not too long after that happened, and then luckily it fixed me immediately, and then I started training for for New York. And it was, you know, just everything was going as planned. Um, I had the fundraising thing, you know, on top of the training was, you know, a little bit difficult, but I had the most incredible group of people with me that there were six of us that went from track club. And 
again, it was like Coach Amy came with us, and was it was, an was say, absolutely. Amy, Amy Begley was one of those six. Yeah, you had an Olympian on your team. Yes, yeah, she was. Mm-hmm. And when you know, my husband died right about halfway through training for that, and that's when mm-hmm. you know everything changed. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure I was going to go through with it, and um, at that. You know, probably, I would say probably a month out from the race, Amy decided that she was going to drop out of the elite race and run the whole thing with me. So, again, I had, like, this incredible support of these people who could have run their own race. And, like, Amy could have been done and eating breakfast and showered and everything before, you know, hours before I ever crossed the finish line. But she chose to go with me and... Um, I think she enjoyed, not to speak for her, but I believe that she enjoyed the um, running a race like a regular person. She didn't ever have to run through cups or sponges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she got to see what it was like from the back. And honestly, it's pretty special. Yeah. Now, you t- I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, losing your husband there. I mean, did you ever want to quit for, I mean, that? That had to be just a, I mean, we talk about obstacles you face in marathon training, but that is a whole different level. I mean. Yeah. I mean, every day it was like, how could I run when I can't stop crying? But mm-hmm. that's what made me stop crying. I could breathe when I ran for a minute because I would like stop. I would stop. And I, you know, I asked my doctor, I asked my psychologist, everybody. I was like, is there anything I could do to stop like constantly sobbing? And they were like, no there's not you just have to get through it so i would run and i would cry i would go to yoga and i would cry i was like that girl that would cry at the gym wherever and you know i just decided it was it like there was no way he was ever going to have wanted me to stop doing that like this was such a huge deal something i had envisioned like my entire my entire life I had thought about, you know, watched these marathons on TV and thought, how could anybody do that? And then all of a sudden, like, I could do that. And New York was extra special because, you know, as you guys know, like, Al Roker was my one of my heroes. He had weight loss surgery way back when it was, you know, not even common and, you know, maybe even a little bit dangerous then, but he did it and he kept it off. That's like a huge part of this. Like it doesn't fix you. You have to like constantly work at it. And I mean, constantly. And he did that and he had to be at work at 4am and I could never imagine the fact that someone could do that. And then I was like, so if he can do it, he can work at 4am and still get those miles in. Nobody's doing that for him. I can do it too. So that's kind of, that's, he was a huge inspiration for me because of that. And they would show footage of him on the sh- on today's show after, you know, running on the treadmill in his basement in New York. And it's just amazing to me. And then you anybody the can day. do it. And then you met him the next day. You I did. I did. So how, so how did that come about? Because <laughs> it, it, I'm sure it wasn't just like you showed up the next day and like, oh, yeah, let's put you on the show. I mean, sometime during your training, they no. must have reached out to you or, or what was it? I had done a video about how I did a video on my blog about how I was going to go to New York and, you know, 
do this thing that I had said I was going to do. I think I wrote about that in 2002. That's how long ago it has been before I had ever even considered weight loss surgery. And I was just so inspired. And I thought that, um, you know, I would just put my video out there and maybe he would see it and maybe I would get to see him. Like I was thinking like maybe at the finish line or something, but um, somebody, I've, I've got so many awesome friends and such a great network. Somebody got it to a producer up there and they came on Halloween day and filmed, um, gosh, almost all day. And I had to run so many stairs that day. <laughs> Did you cut out your workout the next day or something? I mean, I must have run like six or eight miles that day and just he loved the producer loved like all the flights of stairs in Piedmont Park and I was just going up and down. <laughs> yeah, the producer's telling you, Oh, this is a great shot. You're like, can't we find a flat one with the skyline in the background, please? Or down really? <laughs> Oh, so that was so cool. But, you know, I didn't know I was going to meet him. And then, like, the next day, it's Metal Monday in New York. And you're, you know, wearing, we're all wearing our medals to the plaza. And I go in what I think is for a, a tour of the Today Show. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting makeup on. And I meet Vern Yip. And then I see Kathy Lee. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, something's going on. And then I'm watching my story come on the Green in the green room, and then Al comes in with Jane Krakowski, randomly, who was co-hosting that day, and it was it was an absolute blast. I was on the show for 22 minutes. They kept me on for the trivia part that Jane was doing, and then Al loved me and made me do the weather, which I thought was just it was the perfect ending, the perfect ending. Right on, <laughs> right on. very good. The finish line video that Jay from the marketing department of the track club got an incredible video of me finishing the race. And he had to like run to Starbucks to upload it to them and they were waiting for it to edit it in. <laughs> and it's still to this day one of the most incredible finish line videos. Cause you know, the lady randomly announces people or whoever's announcing. And she's like, Tina, you have done it. You've crossed the finish line of New York City Marathon. And it was. It just happened to be that she called my name, and still, when I hear that line, when I watch that video, it just gives me chills all over the place. Right You've mentioned your blog <laughs> a couple of times, and 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 your blog. It's it's fatathon dot com. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, and and like you said, you started it long before you really became a runner. Uh, you said it was in two thousand. Yeah, before. it was in two thousand ten you actually wrote a blog about doing the New York City Marathon one day for Al Roker. Um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. I think it was 2002, actually, oh, when okay. I wrote that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, yeah. And then, um, uh, and then you also wrote on there that about, about doing the Chicago Marathon in 2017. Did you end up doing Chicago last yep. year? I did, and it was again. It was really hot. Um. You're, you're kind of you're kind of following me around here. I mean, I I did I did New York City in in November of 2016. I did Chicago in in October of 2017. What's your next marathon, Tina? <laughs> oh, it's funny you should say that. I swore after Chicago that I was going to do three, and that was it. Like, it, it's hard on my body. Mm -hmm. It makes me slow. It makes me a little bit fat. I'm not going to lie. I eat a lot. <clears throat> There's no weight loss in marathon training. Okay. 
I, I, people can't believe that, but it's true. Um, I'm just hungry all the time. And I would give up things like my strength training and my yoga and my cross training. Mm -hmm. But it's worth it, you know, for certain races to me. And um, my grandma is turning 99 next summer, and she lives in northern Minnesota. So, so there's half grandma's. a chance I might do grandma's full. All right. um, I still might do the half, though. It depends. I'm, I've decided I'm going to be 49 this December, and I'm just going to really listen to what my body wants now. Yeah. Right and on. keep it fun, you know? Right on. Right on. I, I think that's imp an important lesson. I, I do know... Among us runners, as great as the community can be, sometimes we, we get a little bit of FOMO when we see other people running marathons, et cetera, and sometimes run for too sure. many. Uh, I know I've certainly fallen, fallen prey to over-racing in, in, in a given year. Oh, yeah. Now, to, to, to backtrack a bit, I think one of the, my favorite things I've heard you say um, when talking about you know your, your journey from, from having the surgery on to where you are now, one of my favorite things I've heard you say, not just in this podcast, but just in our conversations kind of off air, is that if you're it, to anybody who's having trouble motivating themselves to to make healthier choices, you know sometimes it's best not to think about, you know, not to necessarily do it for yourself, but to do it for somebody you love, right? To to do it for their sake, yep. you know. Who are some of the people that motivated you in that way? Oh, there's been so many. I mean, my of course my dad, and it was kind mm -hmm. of like in honor of him to get. Mm -hmm healthy. I mean, Coach Amy has dealt with celiac disease her whole life and can't eat gluten and manages to, you know, still eat healthy. And um, it's, it, it's a responsibility to the people that love you to stay alive. And that means making good choices and continuing to exercise. And if people would just freaking stop smoking, oh my gosh. <laughs> such a hot button with me because I think, I mean, I know my husband was secret smoking and it's just, you know, you can't be in your fifties and do that. You just cannot, you can't, you can't be in your, you can't have diabetes and think that you're going to live a long life. Like it's just, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people that love you. And even if you don't think somebody loves, anybody loves you, there is somebody that doesn't. Like I said, there you never know who you're inspiring. One of your actions that someone's going to see and it could change their life. Right. And, you know, I think you hit on a good point, too. For you, when, when you talk about dieting and exercising, et cetera, it wasn't just a, a, a question of do I want to get faster or do I want to run further, but do I want to stay alive or do I want to? You know, extend extend my life in, in, in some way. Um, what would you say to somebody who's who's t tells you that they're having trouble maybe motivating themselves or changing their behaviors? Um, I would say that you you really just need to like look into the why, the deep down why are you why are you doing what you are like really be honest with yourself. That is something I did for the longest time. What I was, I would lie to myself and say that a 20 minute workout was enough and it's just not, you know, and there are times now when I, I work out two days in a row or two times a day. And I think, you know, because I, I know I've been lying to myself and telling myself that yoga is cardio and it's not like right. it's, it's like getting down to the why and the really 
why do you want to do this for yourself and putting yourself first? And I've been putting my meals and my workouts literally on my calendar with my work stuff. And so that's what works for me. I feel like it's, it's part of, it's part of my day that I have to do. And if I don't run, like I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I finish a marathon, I go into probably a month's worth of, you know, post-marathon depression and yep. like, what am I going to do now? I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to do a 50 miler. I can't, you know, like you just go into this thing where you don't kind of do anything at all. And, um, it's kind of, it's sometimes hard to come back to, but you come back to that. Why, why did I do this in the first place? Oh, this is what I enjoyed about it. And you just, it's, it, it, I talk to myself a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I try to make it enjoyable. I try to surround myself with people that are like-minded, people that want to do the same things as me, people that like to go to yoga or my my community of, you know, people that I've met there too. And um, it, it's just, it becomes ingrained in you after a while and it's something that you can't live without. And it takes a long time to get there. That doesn't happen overnight. And like I said, I'll go... I'll go a long time sometimes without working out and it's just the way it is. And I try not to be too hard on myself and the next day is a new day and you have, you know, the opportunity to reset every day and try again. Uh Yeah. You know, you talked about, you know, kind of ingraining new habits, like with the calendar. Um, Are you finding that you're, you're finding joy in things you didn't maybe enjoy before you, you became a runner or kind of adopted this active lifestyle or, Maybe you're not as drawn to, to things that you once loved. Um, maybe we're, we're more Yeah, more like I never watch TV anymore. Um, I would rather be outside. I, like, hang from tree branches, or if I see a slide, I'll go down a slide. And George and I do the same like, thing. all these things. <laughs> <laughs> all these things that I never got to do. Him, I really don't want to do it. <laughs> Um, we did that in Boston. They had these light-up seesaws that we all got. It was so cool. It was like an, an art installation. It was incredible. Things like that I would never have done. Um, airplane travel is something that has, like, haunted, you know, overweight people forever. And it's miserable, and it's terrifying, and it's sweaty, and it's horrible. And you get there, and you're sore from trying not to touch anybody around you. And now... I can like sit on an international flight and curl my legs up in the seat and go to sleep. And there's just all this freedom that I didn't have before. And I, I just equate that to running and that feeling of like, you know, flying past a mile of stopped cars. And um, I run with headphones sometimes and the music and the, you know, everyone's stopped in traffic, but I'm not, and I can free, and I can move on my own, and it's just amazing. So you say you're not going to run a 50-miler. Are you sure? <laughs> I did um, the last eight miles of a 100-mile Yeti trail race with my friend, Jessica, mm-hmm. size Jessica, who's awesome, and she, um, it was like seeing my dad cry. It was it was hard. She was, we did a, the last three miles took us an hour and 
I, w- I was just blown away by the fact that people could do this. And I know that if I trained for it, I probably could do it too. But there's, there's just a certain amount of that that I'm not sure that I have, especially at night in the woods in the dark. Just, just not your thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it kind of is your thing. I mean, you know, hearing the way you're talking about, you know, going a little bit farther and going a little bit farther and testing limits a little bit more and and being free, uh, that just feels like like you're going to be looking for the next challenge. The next challenge is going to be on the trails. And the next challenge is going to be somewhere beyond the the the, the marathon. So. Yep. Um, you never know. I just keep saying I'm never say never as long as I live. Like, I, I every time I finish a marathon, I think everybody does. I'm never going to run a marathon again. But, like, later on in the day, you're like, what's the next race? And people are, like, <laughs> already registering for the next thing. And you're like, oh, I'm, you know, laying in my bed with ice packs on Facebook. But I'm registered for my next <laughs> yeah. marathon. <laughs> But that, yeah, but that's not the picture you post on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're both well aware of that feeling. Yeah, no, I already have my next two marathons. I've already registered for both. So, so yeah, I get it. Uh, my wife and I were talking about which marathon I'm going to do in the spring of 2021 recently. So, so yeah, I get it. Oh, that's excellent. It's um, good to have that though as a goal. Like I feel kind of lost without a big goal. For sure. And I feel like. I I always say my everyday goal is to stay trained for a half marathon so I could just pick up at any time and go travel and do one. But, like, that is a big goal, and i got to stop thinking of that as a small goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Just because there's the word half in there doesn't mean a half marathon is a small goal. You start doing what traveling do. I try to get people to stop saying only a half. Not only, don't ever say that. Yeah. yeah. Do, 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 do it. Do it. Uh, long course triathletes do and call it a thirteen point one marathon. Now speaking of, of kind of up, some upcoming goals, uh, tell us a little bit about your work with the uh, Kilometer Kids. Yeah, we've raised over twenty thousand dollars for Kilometer Kids. I want to say, and um, I don't go out to their events because I'm usually doing you know, half training and Peachtree training on Saturdays. There's a whole group of wonderful people that go out with those kids. And, um, I mean, I think that that's where, that's where the love of that starts. And, you know, if, if, you know, if you're a parent and you can get your kids into that young, like, I just feel like I can't imagine what I could have accomplished if I would have started doing that really young. Yeah, I, I think in many ways, I mean, you're a fantastic messenger for that. Now, tell us a little bit about Kilometer Kids for, for folks who maybe don't aren't familiar with that organization or that cause. Well, um, they are for um, kids, not teenagers, younger children, you know, um, elementary school age children who um, are not necessarily, it's not necessarily just, le- you know, towards disadvantaged populations or anything. It's um it's just, you know, community-based um, free events for kids to come to, and it's all different track and field events. It's not just running. They get to do the shot put. They get to do the long jump. They get to do the high jump, and it's all stuff that I enjoy doing, too, with them. Like, we have a little area, actually, at the Peach Tree Expo mm-hmm. that um, has 
has we have a little area there where they can all kids can come and like practice those things and see if that's something that they want to do and it's really fun um and they have you know any little races from little one mile races and even the Peachtree Junior has you know kids that are just starting to walk and it's just it's absolutely adorable and so I think that it's a wonderful organization and they're bringing it into school and um, some of these kids are going to be Olympians one day. Right on, right on. Yeah, there's a friend of the podcast, Charlie Holder, mm-hmm. is one of the uh, one of the designees oh, of the Atlanta Charlie. Track Club, who's going to be doing the uh, the Kilometer Kids. Uh, well, he's going to be running the New York City <laughs> Marathon on behalf of Kilometer Kids, doing what you did in 2016. He's going to be doing it this year in 2018. So yeah, I know he's fired up about that, and he's he's working hard trying to spread the message and raise some money. So uh, shout out to Charlie and good luck, Bob. And then we're uh, we're bumping fabulous. Up, yeah, and we're bumping up against the time here, but uh, I know you designed the T-shirt for the uh, Peachtree Road Race a few years back. So tell us about how 2015. 2015. Yeah, I did not want to throw out a date given our <laughs> our past track record, pun intended, the past hour or so. Uh, so tell us a little but, bit but about. You, that but she knew that date like right off the top of her head. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to submit the design, or maybe how you came up with the design. Um, you are a graphic designer, you know, that's kind of your, your trade by profession. And which, and which shirt is that? What's that one look like? Um, it's the red one. It was the first red one. It's got the big peach and the yeah. scripty font with the sunburst in the back, the blue and white kind of. Um, it was. It's the one you see people wearing regularly. <laughs> yes, because it was the first really comfortable shirt that, they did. I got really lucky that Mizuno was the sponsor that for that year. So it was a new shirt that was soft and it wasn't like a um, scratchy turtleneck. Tina, <laughs> never let the facts get in the way of a good story. We're gonna say your your design was the reason where everybody's wearing it. Yeah, it, it's so comfortable because it's so well designed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the only reason I know that the that's the date is because my age coincides with the peach tree date. So like, like for the 50th peach tree, I will be designing a shirt because I'm turning 50. Mm-hmm. So that's next year. Stay tuned. Well, Tina, we appreciate it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed it. Always enjoy talking with you. Uh, and, and hearing your stories, both about about running and about uh, you know working uh, with my uncle, so I appreciate it. And then Tina, if <laughs> if if, uh, if folks want to uh, connect with you, do you have an online presence? We mentioned your blog a minute ago, but but are you on Twitter yeah. and Facebook and that sort of thing? I am, but it's all under fatathon.com, and I can be reached through there. And um, I haven't blogged in a year, and I'm. July 25th will be my next blog post, which will be two years since my husband passed away. And I've been working on this for a long time and it's going to be pretty epic. So I'm hoping that I I just, I haven't felt like in the last year since I haven't, I haven't blogged since the anniversary of his death last year. And I just haven't felt like talking about anything about me and I feel like I'm kind of turning a corner and kind of coming back. We'll look forward to reading that then. So thanks again, Tina. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good night. All right, you too. Best wishes. Bye.
And that'll do it for another installment of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Make sure that you reach out to us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast. Reach out to our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at ITL Coaching on Twitter, at ITLCoaching.com, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. And don't forget about our other sponsor, Casey the Travel Planner. You can find her on Facebook at facebook.com slash Casey Travel Planner MEV. You can drop her an email at Casey Travel Planner at gmail.com. That's K A C I E Travel Planner at gmail.com. Or just go to her website, CaseyTravelPlanner.com. On behalf of Patrick Hollander, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.